So last week we began this book on children around the Prophet And as we began I mentioned to you all that it's actually based on a series of audio lectures from Dr. Hisham Al-Awadi I don't know where he's originally from but he was at least formerly living in the UK I think he still is maybe he might be somewhere else I don't know but uh, he made this series of lectures on children around the Prophet many years ago and they turned it into a book so the last class we talked about just kind of like this idea of the reality of the social life of the Prophet and the way that um, the children were around him right like they had a society that did that. It wasn't like, you know, you put the children here and you put those ones there and you, everyone's separated and you have to have a special thing for each one type thing. But that everyone would come together, everyone would sit together. Um, and most of what they were doing anyways with the Prophet them is not like formal instruction anyways, right? Like if we were talking about like this, it doesn't happen much in the seerah of the Prophet them. Usually it would be like a khutbah, that's the time when it happens. And if there's some sort of serious thing that happens, they'll make a dan and everyone will come to the masjid. The Prophet then might share some piece of information that's important. And then, um, you know, that's pretty much it. And they would sit with him. They would spend time with him and they would talk to him and they'd be around him. And that's how they would learn whatever it is that they were going to learn. Of course, that doesn't mean that that's all that was happening in his time. Right? It's possible that even though the Prophet wasn't doing that, other people were doing it. Like other people who were learning the hadith, they would sit around and they would study the hadith and they would study the Qur'an together and they would have like little lessons and stuff. That's totally understandable. And of course afterwards that would develop, so it doesn't mean like we shouldn't be doing what we're doing right now. But the point is to emphasize what I emphasized last time, which is the idea that practical education happens in community. This is one of the challenges of Islamic schools actually. Is, and one of the challenges that I had is that when you force someone to study, it changes everything. So it's like, I don't know what the solution is, and I'm not saying that we should cancel like Islamic studies classes for kids or something, but I'm just saying that when you force people to study, it's different. Whereas like you're living with them and they have some lessons and maybe you sit, you do a little bit. You know, you can actually, just a little bit here and there is actually a lot. You know, sometimes, yeah, we study a lot of books and we read a lot of books, but as we said in the very beginning when we started in the Majlis, the big point of coming together and studying books is just to like remember Allah together and to benefit something together and be in each other's company. Right? It's not necessarily that we're always learning something new. It's not necessarily that we have to know like 50 books or something. But the actual knowledge that we need, practically speaking, is not a huge amount of knowledge. Right? We need to know certain things about Allah. We need to know certain things about the Prophet them. After that, everything is kind of like icing on the cake. And so the Prophet and his society is living with these young people and they're living with him <clears throat> And so we start to understand like the puzzle that's in front of us We also start to understand that you have kind of like it's a really interesting transition in the sense that 
for the large portion of the Prophet life, everyone in the Muslim community is a convert. Right? Like you have to think about it for a second. For the for the first at least half of the Prophet life, I mean mission, everyone's a convert. You have the first people born into Islam or being born into Islam kind of like around the time of the Hijrah. But for the first like 10, 12 years, pretty much everyone's a convert. Then you start to have people who are born, they're young, they're growing up in Islam in the Medina period. Yeah, it's only this 10 years. So now you start to see people who are raised in this thing. And of course there's a difference, right? Like there, there is a difference um, between someone who's like raised in something and it's natural to them and someone who they have to maybe put in extra effort. Um, I say it all the time that not every convert is the same, right? Like. Some people convert from backgrounds where they actually believed in religion, right? Like some people, they believed in Allah, they believed in prophethood, they believed in scripture, and they were raised on that, and then maybe they had some questions, and maybe they came to Islam, or whatever else it might be, right? You have other people, like my case, didn't believe in anything. So like the idea of how do you, getting used to the concept of like believing in God, and what that means in your life, is actually a huge transition. And sometimes you have moments of like difficulty or challenge or depression or whatever else it might be And instead of doing what like I've seen from Muslims all the time when they have a down they never doubt God I mean a lot of Muslims will say some people do but like a lot of people who grow up in Islam They kind of like they have their ups they have their downs They might do some things that they're really not supposed to do But if you really ask them do you believe in God they say yeah we believe in God You know now it's a little bit different things <laughs> we're in a new phase now in the last Kind of like 20 years, Allah help us. But um, now you start to see the point is with the Prophet Sallallahu and people who were being raised under the Prophet whereas before, pretty much everyone's an adult, right? But now in Medina, you have this opportunity for a community that is interacting with each other and people who are growing up in Islam. <clears throat> so the first thing that's really important in the relationship with the Prophet Sallallahu and the young people who are around him is trust. Right. If you were to say, like, what are some of the big concepts the Prophet ﷺ has with the kids that are around him? He has trust, he has love, he has mercy. We mentioned last class that the Prophet ﷺ never raised his hand on anyone outside of jihad. So, like, they're not worried that they're going to be hurt by him. He's not going to be, like, saying really rude things to them or really mean things to them. It wasn't his character to be like uh, criticizing people all the time or rebuking people all the time. It was his character, like he would let things go as much as he could, Just let them go, let them go, let them go, and build something. And I think that there's a really important lesson in this, which is that in the end, people are gonna do what they're gonna do. There's gonna be all kinds of organizations, there's gonna be all kinds of people, there's gonna be all kinds of projects, if you have a problem with the way that something is done and you think that it should be done differently, then you do it. That's what, that's what you do. You don't sit around and critique something all day long forever and never provide any alternative, never provide any solution. But the Prophet ﷺ, that wasn't what he did. Like, of course, there were things he had to comment on. If you can't do this, you should do that, so on and so forth. But generally speaking, he built ﷺ. He built what it is that he wanted things to be. And so that's a part of like the trust that he has with the people too, is that the relationship tends to that, 
You know, he tends to trust, tends to love, tends to mercy. And he invested a lot of time in that. Um, and I kind of mentioned this last class that, you know, community building is very relational. It's very relational. And um, I would encourage you all, you know, that try to think of things in that way. Um, like, for example, you know, things are different now with modern media and technology and stuff like that. People have chosen, you have, it's different. Like 20 years ago, for example, you wanted to be part of a Muslim community. You basically figure out what's your closest masjid, and that's where you go, right? But as far as I can tell from people that are growing up now, and people that are like, even my generation and below, it doesn't work that way anymore. It's not like which masjid is closest to me, I'm just going to go to it. It doesn't work that way. Because in the end, the vast majority of people in my generation that I know of, they don't go anywhere. If they want to get something in particular, they'll find it from like online. They'll go to YouTube, they might follow someone on Instagram or whatever, and they get their little hit of Dean and like that's it for them. They don't need, they don't, because they'd rather not be in community that they don't really uh, have a good time in than to be like, I can just get it myself, right? But that's not really community, you know? So at least I would say that like, if we're going to do community in a way that we're not seeing each other all the time, we're not engaging with each other all the time, we're not really having serious conversations or anything, then at least try to be in touch with people. Like sometimes people will send me messages from, and now we're talking in-house, right? Like in-house, sometimes people will send messages and they're like, I'm sorry to bother you. I know you're busy, stuff like this. That's all true, everyone's busy, but like, we, like, I can say for myself, I want you to do that. Sometimes I might be slow in responding, sometimes things might get busy, sometimes whatever it might be, right? But I don't want my only interaction with what I consider to be my community to be me lecturing on a chair. Like, that's, that's not actually community. That's trading a chair in person for a YouTube video. <laughs> it's not, it's not, there's not really much there, you know? And maybe like sometimes when we're here, there's a lot of people, there's this and that, but that doesn't mean we can't like exchange some messages, have a conversation every now and then, so on and so forth. And that's how like things grow over time, you know? So the Prophet them, there's one great example, and if you remind me, after Maghrib we'll do it, inshallah. Uh, one of the examples of the Prophet them really kind of expressing this to his community is the hadith that's called the hadith, uh, hadith al-Musalsal, Hadith al-Musalsal al-Muhabba And uh, Hadith sciences people will know that there's some, some Hadith we mentioned before Some Hadith, they're known for a particular thing at every stage of the uh, every generation of the narration Okay? So, uh, I'll just use this one as an example In this case, the Prophet They said that it was after prayer So we'll wait, we'll do it after Maghrib inshallah the Prophet ﷺ prayed Maghrib with Sayyidina Mu'adh radiallahu anhu, Mu'adh ibn Jabal, who was a young person. Not super young, but like younger. He was probably like teens or late teens, radiallahu anhu. And he turned around to him after Salat and he said, Ya Mu'adh, inni uhibbuk. He said, Oh Mu'adh, I love you. So don't forget after every prayer to say, Allahumma a'inni ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husni ibadatik. Oh Allah, aid me in uh, being grateful to you, what did I say? Remembering you 
and being grateful to you and worshiping you in the best way. Oh Allah, aid me in remembering you and being grateful to you and worshiping you in the best way. So this is what he did. He turned around to him, he told him, I love you. Don't forget to say this. After every salah, say this. So he taught him it after. How did he teach him? He, t- he told him he loves him. They had a little connection. Told him, say this after every salah. What happens? How does, what does Mu'adh do? Sayyidina Mu'adh does what? When he wants to teach it to his students, he prays with them, and he turns around after salah, and he tells the whole group, I love you, so don't forget, after every prayer, to say this. That happened in every single generation up to today. This is called the Hadith Musalsal bin Mahabba. It's the Hadith that is transmitted with love. It's transmitted with love. So every generation of people. So, you know, one day I was praying in Masjid al-Nur, in uh, Westminster, I guess it is now. Not, I guess it's Westminster now. Masjid al-Nur, and uh, we prayed, and then Sheikh Ibrahim, he, he told me, if you know Masjid al-Nur, Sheikh Ibrahim's office is like right behind the uh, mihrab. It's like, you know, right behind. So he told me, he's like, come here. I was like, yes, Sheikh, what's up? And I come in his office, and he says, he grabs me, he says, إِنِّي أُحِبُّكَ فَلَا تَدَعَنِ He tells me the hadith. And then he, he brings, like, his bookshelf is there, so he takes the piece of paper, and he's like, this is your... It lists everyone in the chain of narration to the Prophet It was really beautiful. I was like, it's really nice. Just out of nowhere, he kind of did it. Hafidhullah. Uh, so, you know, inshallah, after Maghrib, if I forget, you remind me. We'll do it after Maghrib, inshallah. And if you want the piece of paper with the chain of narration and stuff, you can contact me outside of, uh, outside of class. But this is an example of the Prophet kind of connecting with young people, telling them that he loves them, so on and so forth. Because love is actually at the heart of it all. Love is at the heart of it all. And, you know, how can you, uh, how can you compete? Right? It's like, um, if people are getting love in all kinds of other places, for all kinds of other reasons, and you're not giving them any of that, how can you compete with that? You can't compete with that. But, it's not all lost, because not all love is the same. And that's what's amazing about the love of the Prophet because the not because love comes from where? It comes from the heart, right? And not every heart is the same. So when the Prophet loves somebody, he really loves somebody. And uh, Cornell West, you know, American philosopher and thinker, he always says, We are who we are because somebody loved us. We are who we are because somebody loved us. Which is really it's actually really beautiful and very true. Um, but you know, there are people in the world, and I've said this before, there are people in the world who you look at them and you really believe and know that they love you even more than you love yourself. And it's, it's because like their love for Allah is so deep. And their love for the Prophet ﷺ is so deep. And their love for people is so deep. That they've managed to deal with whatever needs to be dealt with in here. Such that their love is like, it's a different thing. Right? And that love does matter. And that love does change things. You know, we ask Allah to give us the company of such people. And uh, to give us the capacity to love people in such a way. Uh, the Prophet ﷺ, as we said, he was a mercy. Uh, 
The Prophet says something interesting here. He said, The Prophet's mercy was genuine, principled behavior, regardless of mood or circumstance. Almost no one smiles all the time if they're in a bad mood, but the Prophet's default demeanor was friendly, outgoing, and cheerful, even when consumed by worry. So this is one of the interesting descriptions of the Prophet right? Is that he was da'im al-bishr mutawasil al-ahzan Da'im al-bishr mutawasil al-ahzan We mentioned this in the Shema'an class That the Prophet was always cheerful And yet his sadnesses were one after the next His sadnesses were one after the next I mean even in the most happy times there's like such deep sadness Right? Imagine the Prophet like Badr is a huge thing, right? Badr is a huge battle, a huge accomplishment. And if I'm not mistaken, it was Badr. And he comes back, Uthman, Sayyidina Uthman wasn't in Badr, right? Sayyidina Uthman, the Prophet said about him, there's people that we left them behind us. They didn't go with us out to the battle, but for every single step that we took, they got reward. Because they wanted to be with us, but they weren't able to be with us. So he's talking about Sayyidina Uthman, radiallahu anhu. Sayyidina Uthman couldn't go to the battle of Badr, why? Because he's married to the Prophet's daughter and she's sick. So he stays behind to take care of her, his wife, you know. And the Prophet ﷺ, they win the battle of Badr and it's a huge accomplishment. And they come back to Medina and his daughter has died. Like imagine you can't, it's not even like, it's, it's very short lived. But still, every interaction people have with the Prophet he's smiling, he's trying to be good to them, so on and so forth. And believe me, this is really hard. If you haven't worked in like a community position, you probably don't understand. Like a position where you come and every single day that you come, people are looking to get something from you. And I don't mean like in a bad way. They're, they came because they're trying to get something. Like they, they came to the lesson, they came to whatever it might be, they're trying to get something. And you don't always have it, right? Like sometimes you feel like, I don't know, someone's sick, or someone died, or something broke your heart, or you had some problem, or like whatever else it might be, right? But that's not what you bring to the people. You bring that to the people, then you hurt them, right? The Prophet them somehow, what he always brought to the people was khid. Through all of these things, relatives going against him, family members dying, friends being killed, extreme poverty, huge problems on a societal level, like all of these things. And then they see the Prophet and he's smiling. And he's smiling, and he's smiling, and he's smiling. You know, one of the things that's interesting they tell you in psychology, <coughs> they did research. If you sat in front of someone, you can try it. You should do it with your family members and stuff. You know, you sit in front of someone and you force yourself to smile for a couple minutes, you're going to feel better. Even if you don't feel like smiling, you, you're like upset. You're like, no, you're just going to sit here and smile. You smile for five minutes. You sit there and you make yourself smile for five minutes. You feel better afterwards. You sit there and you make yourself frown for five minutes, you're going to feel bad, bad afterwards. You feel worse. Even if you didn't come in with that. And so the Prophet them. part of what he's doing is he's bringing smiling into the culture of his community. And there's, there's certain things like you have to think about what is the, and I think I mentioned this before, like institutions are not the only way to make change in the world. You can make change in the world by asking what is it that I'm bringing into the world. 
So the Prophet ﷺ is bringing into the world that he inhabits, he's bringing smiling into that world. And because he's bringing smiling into that world, then other people are going to smile. And he's bringing how are you into the world, and how's your family, and so on and so forth, and all these things. So people are going to do those things too. And sometimes it's not even like the... the um, there's a really interesting point related to this. I think it's interesting, you might not, but I think it's interesting. In Surah Al-Ma'un, when Allah is talking about people who don't feed the poor, right? What does it say? وَلَا يَحُدُّ عَلَى تَعَامٍ مِسْكِينَ Right? He does not encourage people to feed the poor. Alright? He does not encourage people to feed the poor. You can understand it like very direct. In Surah Al-Fajr, what does Allah say? وَلَا تَحَادُّونَ عَلَى تَعَامٍ مِسْكِينَ Right? وَلَا تَحَادُّونَ عَلَى تَعَامٍ مِسْكِينَ It's a different verb. This verb, the meaning of it is, it's communal. Like you didn't have, you didn't create a culture amongst you as a people that encouraged taking care of those who are in need. Not just you didn't do it, or you didn't tell people to do it, but you guys didn't have that. Right? So there, one of the big questions when we talk about community and what is community going to look like and so on, is what do we do with those things? Right? It's not necessarily like the most sophisticated concepts. So the Prophet ﷺ gave us a lot of very simple baseline things that are absolutely essential to how we're going to do life together. So what is the culture going to be? Is the culture going to be people asking about each other? Is the culture going to be people talking to each other? People uh, seeking to under, understand before being understood? That's actually a really good one. Stephen Covey had some good ones. Seek to understand before being understood, right? Like what is going on with you? What's your situation? Trying to like figure out what's, why? Why would a person do that? Even if it's something you totally disagree with, why would you do that? Like what, what's going on? And try to figure out what the situation is, right? Anyways, all of this, the Prophet ﷺ, his mercy was genuine. His mercy was genuine. It's a lot harder than it sounds, right? <laughs> Especially if like, everyone has, first of all, different personalities. Everyone also has different life experiences. Some people have families, for example, that are very exacting. Things need to be done in a particular way. Some cultures are very exacting. Some cultures are very lenient, you know, like a lot of times in Egypt they would just be going crazy Because like no matter what happened people would be like Malish and We're like Malish what? Like how are you Malishing me right now? Malish means kind of like it's okay, let it go, it's not that big a deal Whatever else you might be hmm? Oh, sorry, Malish, I forgot, see? You have to have some mercy I have to have some mercy. Alright, I'm just going to sign it and you can fill out the rest. Thank you, Michael. Sorry guys, one second. We want you to eat dinner. If you don't pay for dinner, you don't get to eat dinner. Oh. Nice pen. Uh, whoa, really nice pen. Um, I'm just going to do that and I'll let you take care of the rest. Huh? I forget what the photo is. Thank you. Um, so we have this culture of mercy, right? We have to have a culture of mercy. Sometimes the hardest place to have mercy is with ourselves. I feel that way. Sometimes the hardest place to have mercy is with yourself. The Prophet ﷺ was the most merciful of people. Look at this narration, it's very interesting. 
Anas ibn Malik again. Right, we said Anas ibn Malik is going to give us vast majority of the narrations in this whole world. Because he was living with the Prophet as his servant for 10 years, right? So he says, the Prophet was the most merciful of people towards members of his family. He had his son Ibrahim nursed in a Medina neighborhood and the husband of his wet nurse was a blacksmith. We used to go to him and the house would be full of smoke from the bellows. He would kiss the child and take him in his lap. Part of why I wanted to mention this particular narration is that people often look at the blacksmith like someone you don't want to be around. That's why I wanted to mention it. Right, the blacksmith and the nature of the work that the blacksmith does is something that people don't want to be around. And yet the Prophet had his child nursed with the family of the blacksmith and would go visit them and spend time with them and see the children and kiss them and hug them and so on and so forth. It wasn't like, oh, these are the poor people. You know, Beware the poor people. If you go near them, you might get infected by poverty. Uh, and some other weird stuff that we have sometimes. You know, This like extreme classism that makes it so that we can't be around other people, which is extremely problematic. Uh, so the Prophet would go to these different places, go to, we know the narrations around that, there's many other ones. The Prophet also would remember some of the details about the lives of the children. One of the famous narrations in this one is, Anas um, again says it, and it was Anas's little brother. So Anas says that the Prophet used to come visit us, and I had a younger brother who was named Abu Umair. Abu Umair. And he had a bird. And the bird was called Nughayr. So the Prophet knew the name of the bird, first of all. <laughs> so they, the Prophet used to go visit. And he came to visit one time and Abu Umair was really sad. He's really upset, he's sad because the bird has died. So the Prophet asked, what's going on, you know? He tried to figure out what the situation is, and he went and talked to Abu Umair. He's like, yeah, Abu Umair, ma fa'al al-Nughair. Like, what happened with Nughair? And he kind of like has this conversation with him about the bird who has passed away, right? And uh, like, he didn't ignore the grieving of this young boy. He wasn't like, oh, just get over it, it's a bird. Throw the... I know a story. <laughs> Some of the stories that I've heard in community are really funny on this. Kind of disturbing, but really funny. Like people have pets and then the pet dies, so the parent just like throws it in the canyon or flushes it down the toilet. You know, there's all kinds of different things that people do with, <laughs> with dead pets. But um, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, like, this kid had a bird. Like, you're the leader of a state. Again, you have to keep it all in mind. You're the leader of a community. You go to battles. People attack you. You're sending letters to like heads of government. Your family members are against you. People are in poverty, so on and so forth. And then there's a young child in your community who has a bird, and you know the name of the bird, and the bird dies, and you go and console the child about the bird. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's really remarkable when you think about it like in context. But what do you think that child is going to remember? You think that child is going to remember and be like, you know, when I was five years old, between the ages of five and seven, the Prophet dispatched seven armies to different countries. He's going to remember that. When he's 20 years old, he's not going to be like, this is the fact that he has. When he's 20 years old, the fact that he has is going to be, when I was really small, I had this bird, and the bird meant a lot to me, and the bird died, and the Prophet ﷺ came and he spent time with me. That's what he's going to remember, right? So, you know, subhanAllah, these things are really, um, they're really, some of them are really beautiful. 
Uh, it also, there's many lessons from that story. You know, like you talk to a person according to what they understand, deal with every situation accordingly, to, to see some beautiful quality in someone and to nurture it. Like to have concern over an animal that died is a good quality. So you want to nurture that quality of the Prophet and engages that, so on and so forth. Many different lessons to be taken. The Prophet also there's other cases like that, like Abdullah bin Jafar He used to tell he used to talk about how when he was a kid, the Prophet would come and visit and like pat his head and make dua for him. This is the things that they remembered. Um, and he used to hug the kids in his community, he used to spend time with them. He used to pat them on the head, he used to make dua for them, so on and so forth, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So again, like his youth group wasn't really like a lecture. The youth group was very much more organic than that. Um, and of course, that also ties into the long-term memory of the person. Like, you know, when you have a memory that's tied to some sort of experience, then that memory sticks better, right? So he would give them pieces of information that are tied to these experiences. And he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah gave him certain characteristics that made it so these things would be, he would be memorable too, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Like they say in these narratives, Anas says, for example, that like, I never touched a hand that was softer than the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There was never any scent that was more beautiful than the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So it's not just that the Prophet comes and asks about the kid and like, touches his head, but the kid is actually, he's going to smell the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, afterwards, right? Uh, so there's multiple layers to it. He used to kiss his children and his grandchildren. Uh, he used to kiss Sayyidina Hassan and Hussein. One time a man saw him doing that and he told him, You kiss them? Like these are your grandchildren, you kiss them? He was surprised. And one of the things that's important about this is that the Prophet, sometimes his culture was not what he wanted in his people, right? So he, he was courageous enough, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to do what he needed to do in the face of what other people did. So other people, so someone comes to him and they're like, you kiss your child? And he's like, yeah, of course I kiss my children. He's like, and the man said, I have 10 children, I've never kissed any of them. And the Prophet looked at him and he said, what can I do for you if Allah took mercy out of your heart? Like, what am I supposed to, what do you want me to tell you? You know, if you don't have any children, you didn't kiss any of them? What am I supposed to do for you? Allah took mercy out of your heart. Another narration is the famous one, man la yarham la yarham. The one who does not show mercy has not shown mercy. So the Prophet would do this and whatever. Other people say things, they say whatever they say. Uh, you know, if you don't show, he, he, says, he says, some people they say, the one who doesn't show mercy will not be shown mercy. And of course, the immediate way to understand that is from Allah. Right? But the other, immediate, the other way to understand that is from anything else. Like, he says, for example, if the person doesn't show mercy to their children, you think their children are going to show mercy to them? You know? There's a hadith the Prophet said that the one who honors an elderly person in their old age, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah will make for them someone who will honor them in their old age. This is the inverse, right? The inverse is like, you do khair for someone else, that khair comes back to you, that good comes back to you. So, what are the seeds that are being sown? Very interestingly, Umar bin Khattab radiallahu anhu, one time when he was the Khalifa, Umar is the Khalifa, right? He's running the, 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 the state, the affairs of the state. And he kissed one of his sons. And a local governor that he had put in, in, in a position of governance asked him that same question that was said to the Prophet Asked him like, you have a child and you kiss your child, you kiss your son? 
And uh, he said, Yeah, Amir al-Mu'mineen, you kiss one of your children and you're Amir al-Mu'mineen, like you're the leader of the believers and you do this? So Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu, he said the same thing as the Prophet said. He said, what can I do if Allah has taken mercy away from you? I don't know what to do for you. Allah took mercy away from you. And then you know what he did? He took the man out of leadership. It's very interesting actually. It's very interesting. We have a huge problem in our community. This is where, you know, I told you, I can't go a single lecture without causing some sort of problems. We have a huge problem in our community. That problem is we put all kinds of people in positions of leadership and they have no business being in them. And it causes huge problems. Huge problems. We're not talking about like small problems. Huge problems. Sometimes I understand. Nobody else is there to do the job. Fine, nobody else is there to do the job. And you have to try to like do your best. And the person was unqualified, but they were more qualified than the other unqualified person. Fine, I get that. But when you have qualified people around and you put people who don't know what they're doing in positions of leadership for whatever reason, you create huge problems. So what did, what did the, uh, Sayyidina Umar do? This man was in a position of leadership. He asked him, you kiss your child? Sayyidina Umar said, yes, kiss my children. And then he said, you're out of your position. Because if you have this kind of problem showing mercy to children, and like you have this kind of problem with a father showing this mercy to his child, then you can't be in charge of people. You can't be the one that makes decisions for your people. You can't be the one that does that. It's very interesting, right? He said, Allah, there was someone who used to carry children during prayer. We have like five minutes. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Wow. I was expecting like one page and then end of chapter. It's not one page and end of chapter. So we're, not just, we're just not going to finish today. Uh, the last thing I'll mention then, before we stop for prayer, is related to prayer. That the Prophet used to carry children in prayer. Or he used to, uh, if they crawled on him during prayer, he would let them crawl on him during prayer. Um, Umama, the granddaughter of the Prophet, <coughs> one time she was, she was crawling on the Prophet when she's praying. You know what I thought about when I was reading this? How important the setup of the space is. You know? <laughs> How important the setup of the space is. Why? The Prophet is leading Salah. Presumably, his granddaughter probably came in with her mom. Right? She probably came in with her mom. And during Salah, somehow she wandered over to her grandfather. And she started to crawl on her grandfather's back. And her grandfather held her and prayed and did everything. It was fine. Right? But she didn't have to, like, his granddaughter didn't, like, leave the room that was special for her mom and then like go in the elevator and take the elevator down and like walk through the corridor and figure out from the corridor how to find her grandfather it didn't really work like that you know and i know people will give like different reasons and explanations and so on and so forth but in the end the prophet's eyes sometimes masjid was there was men in the front and there were women in the back and children obviously are going to be going back and forth <laughs> that's that's part of the whole thing. Children are gonna go back and forth, and you know, like, oh my God, we can't focus in prayer because there's like a child moving. Well, I have a hard time believing you can focus in prayer, anyways. If that's like really bothering you that much, I have a hard time believing it because, like, I have children. Forget it. Once you have children, you like you will learn how to pray with children. 
because there's no prayer without children. Like they're gonna always be there. So maybe that maybe it's something you need to learn. And then you learn that and you can pray with children around. It's not necessarily that they were running around and going crazy and so on and so forth. That's a whole different issue. But the Prophet them held her and took care of her. It wasn't like, oh my god, he didn't turn around from Salat and like reprimand his daughter. Be like, Zainab, what are you doing? How come your your daughter's over here and like she wandered into the men's section and all this other stuff? It wasn't like that. He would play with them, he would be kind with them, they would come and come in the salat and stuff like that. I'll stop here. Does anyone have any comments or questions or observations or anything? As I said in the beginning, we're in the gym today because there was a wedding. So normally we'll be in our usual spot outside and we'll have dinner outside. But there is also still basketball tonight. So, you know, when we close, we'll pray Maghrib. And if everyone can kind of help to get all this stuff outside, and then we'll deal with it from outside, inshallah. But if anyone has any questions or comments, observations, you can do that in Chamba. Anyone? Umar Taban. Sayyidina Ali is Farhan. Sayyidina Umar is Taban and Sayyidina Ali is Farhan. And Khalilo is doing his thing. Mashallah, it's a blessing. Alright, nobody? We ask you, Allah, to fill our hearts with mercy and to fill our hearts with forgiveness and to fill our hearts with kindness. We ask you, Allah, to make us people who build and do not destroy. We ask you, Allah, to guide us to that which is good and that which is right. And we ask you, Allah, to protect us from that which is bad. We ask you, Allah, to guide our children and our loved ones to um, really help them to understand what is right and what is wrong and what is good and what is bad. We ask you, Allah, to show us truth as truth and to give us the ability to follow it and to show us falsehood as falsehood and to give us the ability to stay away from it. We ask you, Allah, to give food to those who are hungry, to give shelter to those who are shelterless, to give victory to those who are oppressed. We ask you, Allah, to give healing to those who are sick. And to have mercy on those who have passed away. Allahumma amin. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Wa ala alayhi wa sallam. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. If someone can make a van.